This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vasser, also artistic administrator and principal second violin, Merwin Sue, and we also have the Toledo Symphony's music director, Alain Trudeau, with us today. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank Great to be much. here. A word which strikes fear and terror into the heart of just about every performing artist, and that word is audition. So today we're talking about the audition. And uh, I have a lot of different things queued up here to to get us going, but I want to talk about like audition success stories, but it's a lot more fun as we start to talk about audition horror stories. Because pretty much everybody who's ever done an audition has an audition horror story. Also interesting to note, by the way, this is a bit of a, a sidebar here, but when you think about the word audition, actually the root of that, audire, is, is Latin, which means to listen. So auditions or audience or all of those words are all about listening instead of watching. We think of, you know, an actor auditioning. That is as much visual as it is um, audible. But you know, originally it was all about listening. So we're here listening. So we're really getting into the the root of uh, of the uh, issue here for what it's worth. So anyway, uh, it's a necessity of every performing arts organization. And uh, when it comes to symphony orchestras, it can really be even more gut-wrenching because there just aren't that many good jobs on mm-hmm. the market. So there's yeah. a great deal of competition. This is all precipitated, I should say, by current auditions going on with Toledo Symphony and uh, Alain Trudel's listening to some horn players. And, <laughs> and as we make this recording, we still don't know what, what's happening with that. So no spoilers uh, this afternoon. But let's get started with some audition horror stories. And, and Merwin, do you want to start out and, and give us your Shostakovich horror Sorry. story? Do you want me to, to cue up the music? Sure. and you can, We can kind of go. Play it behind you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this was actually not an orchestra edition, but it was a university edition. I had finished my undergraduate degree and I was looking at grad schools and I was at the Cleveland Institute of Music and the warm-up room that I was in was very, very resonant. Um, and I had, as sometimes happens when you are heading into audition, not slept very well the night before. So I was feeling a little under-energized. And so I decided with about 15, 20 minutes left before my audition time to just take a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola and just chug it and finish it. And then I had chosen a set of pieces that really required a nice ambient room to help fill space. Bach's Chacon from the D minor partita, Chausson's poem, and the Shostakovich concerto. They just need a friendly room. And then I walked from the practice room to the president's room at uh, the Cleveland Institute of Music, which this is probably not true, but I remember this room as being like walled, like Florida ceiling covered in Persian rugs. <laughs> and just in this great most, acoustics, the huh? most sound deadening room ever. And then this <laughs> great, th- these great faculty members from the Cleveland Institute of Music listening to me play. And I played the first chord of the, sh- the Bach Chacon and there was no resonance whatsoever. And in that split second, I knew I was in trouble. So I played um, Bach and I played um, Chausson. 
But then I had to do the Shostakovich concerto. And it's, the Shostakovich first violin concerto at that time was not really something people auditioned with. And as they were trying to decide what excerpt of the Shostakovich concerto they were going to hear, I started to realize that I had 20 ounces of Coca-Cola in my bladder <laughs> and desperately <laughs> needed to go to the bathroom. And they they acted in slow motion, slowly flipping the pages, mm. trying to determine what I was going to do. And they ultimately decided, well, why don't you perform the cadenza from the Shostakovich concerto? And I am all but crossing my legs trying to perform <laughs> oh. this this cadenza. And it's, as you hear, it's this very sparse, space-filled, very slow ascending sets of arpeggios. And I went through them faster than I ever had before because I really just had to go to the bathroom so incredibly badly. <laughs> so it is one of the things I warn my students about. No matter how under-caffeinated you feel, do not try to remedy yeah. that with coffee or Coca-Cola right. before your audition. Or just make sure you pee before you play. <laughs> also right? that. Yeah, that, that's yeah. just kind of 101. <laughs> <laughs> it's good advice. How did that audition turn out for you? I got into the school. <laughs> yeah, um, that's good. So, I, but I, I eventually decided to go to Indiana uh, yeah. instead. They have better washrooms. Elaine, as a as a trombonist, Elaine, have you ever had any uh, scary auditions yourself? No, everything was perfect. Thank you. (laughs) 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 Well, there are always moments, right, where you. It's really interesting. First time I did, uh, there's a thing. um, There used to be a competition in Canada called the CBC, the radio, you know, CBC uh, competition. And we also had one that was called the International. It still exists, International Stepping Stone, which is a huge competition. All the instruments are together. And uh, and those are national competitions. I just remember being really ready to go. And sometimes that happens that, uh, you know, you you succeed and sometimes you don't, right? And, yeah. and and in a brass instrument, everybody hears it because you either hear nothing or you hear something that sounds like a some kind of a turkey, <laughs> like that. So I'm just playing, you know. And I had like the the poor the the jury. It wasn't an orchestra audition, so there was no um, there was no screen. Now we can talk about that later. Our yeah. orchestra auditions function because they're they're quite special. But I remember then jury just looking at me going like, Oh, poor you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but then the week after, the, the two weeks after you go and I, I, I won the Montreal Symphony competition. Yeah. It's just, you know, you, the, I think that the whole lesson there is just to keep at it. You know? Right. And, um, yeah. for orchestra audition, I think it's more difficult because uh, as you said, there's not that many jobs and it's not a one time off where you can win a prize or play a concerto with orchestra or get into school. It's kind of, it has more um, more incidents because it's kind of your livelihood, you know, after sure. that. So it's more pressure a little bit for some of that. But I have a story that, uh, of course, all the stories will not have n- personal names, right, today? <laughs> so I remember walking into a master class of a very famous orchestra musician when I was a little younger. And just, you know, th- th- says we're going to talk about auditions, you know. So that's great. I want to learn about that. So I come and I sit down, spend the first 40 minutes talking about beta blockers and enderol and pills and all that. I'm like, oh, my God. 
you know, the, you know, breathing exercise maybe, or just, you know, visualization. And that's, uh, that's actually a big thing, um, that, uh, unfortunately people get so nervous. They, in their mind, they build it up as something. It's the end of the world if you don't get it, yeah. you know? And that's, even if you do go through and if you do get it, I think the real horror story of any audition is to make it that big in your head, mm. you know? Because then there's no pleasure into it. Yeah. It basically is, uh, you, you are who you are. You have something to offer if it works for them. Cause, you know, a big part of it is, is like a casting, you know? Sure. The, does this sound work with our sound? Uh, does this way of playing work with it? Does, is this person too much of one way that we're not? But like you said, it's about other things, about hearing. So really the auditions about the panel going like, we're looking for something. Like Audra McDonald said, you know, come in as the solution. You're looking for mm -hmm. something. Hey, I might be your solution. Right. But sometimes we think, we overthink. We think that we want to know what the people on the other side of the, you know, in the committee are thinking that we're thinking that they're thinking. You never get out of that. Right. So you just have to bring it to the, the simplest uh, possible thing. I remember I not getting an audition twice for National Youth Orchestra in Canada. Didn't get in. But a few years after, I conducted them for five years. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and you just never and you, know. <laughs> and you didn't let anybody else in. After yeah, that. that's Great. it. No more trombones. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you never know, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, you know, from the standpoint of somebody who does auditions, a lot of it is beyond your control. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can control if your bladder is full or not. But <laughs> as far as uh, being able to be that solution and give them what they want, you can make an educated guess as to what they're looking for mm -hmm. but a lot of times and speaking from the standpoint of uh, having been in an opera career for some 16 years or so and doing a lot of auditions you just never know mm -hmm. uh, what it is that they are looking for so sometimes you just have to be yourself and, and be the best that you can be in that audition but then again things in, in the category of things beyond your control I uh, put out a call on Facebook and social media for folks to uh, ring in, call up our Q&A line, and leave stories about uh, their auditions, audition horror stories, mm. I should say. So I gathered a few of those, and I thought it would be fun to listen to those. Now, here they are. Hi, Brad and the Toledo Symphony Lab. This is Nora, and my audition story is that right before I walked in the room, I decided to do some light stretching of my legs and I totally ripped the butt out of my, of my pants. <laughs> so I took a minute, put my back to the wall, obviously, and then walked in the room, sang the audition, and of course backed out. <laughs> Thanks. Hi, this is Chris and I'm calling with my worst ever audition story. Uh, although I'm not uh, a professional musician now, I once was a professional violinist. My uh, worst audition story, though, comes from when I was a student. I was 16, uh, and it was a concerto competition. And the winner uh, was to perform with the Jacksonville Symphony Orchestra in Jacksonville, Florida, where I was going to school at the time. Uh, and uh, as the concertmaster of the youth orchestra, uh, I should have had a pretty good shot at winning this audition. But everything that could go wrong that day, uh, in fact, actually went wrong. I'd been preparing for months. And the morning of the audition, I realized that uh, I was supposed to have a certain number of copies of the various scores of pieces that I was going to play that afternoon for all of the judges, and I hadn't done that. Uh, so I 
uh, on the way to the audition, had to uh, spend the time that I would have spent warming up, running to Kinko's and making <laughs> copies, and then got to the location and was confused about where it was and eventually found my way. And I got there on time, uh, just barely to take my violin out of the case and walk in and play. Uh, I was playing the first movement of the violin concerto in G minor, the first violin concerto by composer Max Brook, uh, which you could say has perhaps the simplest opening of any concerto, uh, which I guess makes it hard, but it is literally an open string. Um, and that is all that you do uh, is play an open string. Uh, and I did that and my bow shook furiously. <laughs> and that was how this audition started. And it got worse from there. As you can imagine, um, you know, somebody who's obviously having a nervous breakdown, who's uh, right hand in the bow of my violin, shaking uncontrollably. You needed some beta, uh, beta blockers. It, yeah, yeah. get worse from there on. Uh, worst audition story of my life, worst day of my life. Uh, scarred me forever. Um, and that's how that went. Story of unanticipated Hey, this is Stephen. Years ago, I was auditioning for the Kentucky Opera down by the Lafayette, uh, by uh, Joseph Papp's Theater. And the building that we were singing in had a breezeway. Across from it was another apartment building. The window was open. I was singing the soliloquy. And as I was barreling towards the end of it there, there's train tracks after you sing, I'll go out and make it or steal it or take it. Yeah. So I'm going, I'll go out and make it or steal it or take it. And in that pause right there in the apartment across the street, someone went, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to go, or die. <laughs> I started laughing. The auditioners started laughing, and I still didn't get the job. <laughs> so those are some examples of audition horror stories. And uh, I'm, I'm just wondering if uh, that elicits any discussion amongst you. But it, I think it speaks to how much people's lives can get wrapped up in this mm -hmm. whole audition process right. and how you can put all your eggs in that basket of if I don't get this job, that's the end of the world, mm -hmm. you know. And it, as a performer, it's really important not to focus on that and not to put all of your self-worth into that event because, as, as you mentioned, Elaine, it may be – entirely beyond your control. You may be the, the best trombone player in the world, but you just weren't what they were looking for in that mm -hmm. particular instance. It's very possible. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, um, I'll ask you something. Uh, uh, what does those two things have in common? Like playing the, like the bolero, everybody knows it, but starting a tone too high and playing the whole thing a tone too high in an audition and mess, you know, totally missing the Siegfried call, like the pa 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 What those two things have in common? <laughs> I've heard a lot of tenors do that on their <laughs> Siegfried entrance when they have well, to sing a high C. I know two people who actually won major jobs doing that in their audition. Wow. Really? Wow. Yeah, because the thing is that an audition committee, the one thing that all audition committee in the world have in common is that they're looking for talent. You know, first of all, first and foremost, you know, do you have a beautiful voice or do you have a beautiful sound? Do you have what it like what it takes to have a career in that, like the talent, the raw talent? Mistakes are mistakes, you know. But uh, if you listen to it and say, oh, wow, there's something there. If you establish in your first little part, like the first 30 seconds, enough, how could I say, 
uh, artistic capital of sympathy, <laughs> you know, yeah. where, where people actually will forgive other things after because they've said, wow, this sounds so good. This person has the most beautiful sound and oh, just pure clarity or, you know, whatever that particular orchestra might be looking for, then you're ready to forgive things after that. Yeah. So it's because it's not about the, the perfection is not what we think. It's not about playing every single note perfectly. It's a perfection that might be in the sound that the committee is like, wow. You know, the, the phrase that lovers say, you know, you're perfect to me, you know? Yeah. So you need to hear something that the committee, you say, oh, this is perfect for us, you know? Mm-hmm. There might be mistakes, but this is what, you know, this is what I want to put as the, this player in the orchestra. And if you have enough people feeling that way, and again, you have no control over this and you don't know. And in orchestra audition, there's a screen in front of you. So you basically play to a wall. Uh, so you really have to work very hard on being yourself. Yeah. I'm interested in this whole uh, orchestra audition uh, process. Mm-hmm. You talk about it being behind a, a blind screen. Yeah. Merwin, why don't, why don't you give us the, the uh, violinist eye view of, of how that works? Well, in with the Toledo Symphony, we actually put the screen in front of the committee. So there is always a screen, but sometimes in some orchestras, the screen is directly in front of the player. And here we put this screen in front of the committee. The reason for that is to preserve anonymity of all of the people. So you're not, you don't know that this particular player, it, what number they are, which resume they are. Once they've passed kind of a resume screening level, it is how do you play? What's your sound like? And um, we go to great lengths to try to preserve that anonymity. And you then perform to the committee a set of excerpts. Usually the first round will be somewhere around six, six, ten minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is both an eternity and a very small amount of time to determine your future direction. (laughs) Um, But then after that, um, you know, the, the, the applicants are heard in groups of anywhere between say five and eight or something like that. And then the committee then deliberates talks, decides whether to advance one to very rarely three of that group to a future round. And Mm -hmm. then that winnowing process keeps happening until we have selected a player. Yeah. I remember like with the Minnesota Orchestra, which was my first audition, um, that happens to be a high, very high profile job. It pays very well and it's easy to get to, but there were 300 violinists auditioning for a spot. That, wow. That first edition. And, so. and are all the auditions live then out of those 300 or do they have a screening process before the, the live rounds? That di- differs from orchestra to orchestra. I, th- I believe at that time, Minnesota heard almost everybody. Yeah. Um, there are orchestras that screen much more rigorously that want a certain number of years of professional experience and then therefore will screen out people who don't have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Elaine, when, when they were talking to you about uh, taking over the Toledo Symphony, did they make you conduct behind a screen? <laughs> That's how I got it. I got it. <laughs> they took the screen off and it was too late. Yeah. <laughs> you just stick your hands through the screen so they can see, you know, your hand movements. Well, you know, the life of a conductor is pretty much every orchestra that you go to, they have a survey um, that's uh, distributed to the orchestra. And while you're conducting the week you're there, the survey goes like, you know, what do you actually? I don't know if they are here, but they, yeah, okay. Um, would you like? Uh, what do you think about this conductor? Like technique, communication skills, and all that. Would you recommend this conductor 
uh, come back like for a master works or come back for a education program, come back for a classical program or not come back ever. <laughs> and while you're conducting, you know, this is happening. So yeah. basically conductors are in audition their entire careers. Wow. So which is, uh, but it's interesting, right? Because it's a position, it's, it's the position with the most, um, decisional power in the orchestra because, you know, you have, you had the buck has to stop somewhere, you know, musically and also, you know, when, when there's some decisions to be made, but at the same time, you're constantly, uh, renewed and you're the only one that's not tenured, right? You're yeah. contract to contract uh, and conducting musicians that are tenured. Right. So, so it's not, it's interesting. I mean, you, you live with it. I mean, you, I, I think, the first few times, it's a little uh, unnerving because you, oh wow, and and you know you're walking backstage uh, and people leave their sh some people leave their sheet there, you know, by accident or not, <laughs> <laughs> and some of them are filled already after the first part of the first rehearsal, and you're like, yeah. okay, you know, so that's interesting, but uh, you know, it it is what it is. I mean, I've been on both sides because I've done auditions. I mean, when I was younger, uh, as a teenager, I auditioned for the Montreal Symphony. I made the final round. We had uh, about 85 players and there was an international audition and we played like the third round, the final. Uh, there are two guys from Montreal <laughs> in the final round. So it was interesting to see that. But, and, um, they, well, I was 17. So, you know, didn't give it to anybody, but we wind up paying, playing, uh, I played every other week for two years in the orchestra, you know, while they were still looking or considering. And by that time, like you said, sometimes somebody notices you. One of the conductors really liked me and they offered me principal trombone in Barcelona. So I went there, and, uh, but that's, that's interesting. That's another kind that you don't see so much of that anymore, you mm -hmm. know, like, uh, like a conductor somewhere or a director saying, Hey, that person has something special. Okay. Let's get him over there because there's rules, right? There are rules. But, uh, back then in Spain, it was very, very different. No union really. And, uh, I remember when I was principal trombone there, we had audition for the, the second trombone and we had a bunch of people coming in. They were not that great. There was one that was okay. And the conductor, like, give me the elbow and say, would you just go up there and, you know, tell them how we want to do it? So I took my trombone out and I, it became a lesson. His audition right. became a lesson. Try it like this, try it like that. Okay. And basically they, they saw if the, the people were able to play, but it was always like that in the past. Like if you go back 50 years, it was basically scouting. Not auditioning, right? right? You would go out scouting and, and you would say, Oh, I heard this, this kid. There was somebody told me about somebody there. Now the thing is that there's so many good players because the, the schools produce so many good players that, uh, we like, you know, like the flute audition in Boston was 700 players. You know, wow. of course they, they don't accept all of them at the audition, but just to get to the, to a live round. You need to have, uh, cause you were asking earlier if, uh, you know, they, they screen people well only on the application form now. They said, you know, you need, uh, some kind of, uh, this amount of experience or so already it cuts some of the, the players that are not there, but it's again, it's a catch one too. How, how do you get the experience if you don't have the job? How do you get the job if you don't have the experience? Right. Yeah. So that's why you have to audition all the time. Like, you know, if there's one thing we can tell to younger players, it's just anything you see. And anyway, where you can audition, go for it. You're interested, not interested. It doesn't matter. Just go, go, go and try out. It might actually be like the, the job of your dream that you're building from there, or it might actually not be. It doesn't matter. I mean, you have to prove yourself to your, you have to prove it to yourself that you can do well. First rounds are the worst ones because they're basically just, just getting rid of, of people, right? 
So if you can survive that first round, because no, very often it's almost yeah. luck, right? Especially when they divide the committee. If they have like 150 players, or even if you have 100 players, you divide uh, different committees sometimes. And it depends if you're in the batch of 10 that are extremely good or a batch of 10 where, yeah. So there's so many things that come into play. I mean, auditions behind screens for orchestra is the most fair way that we found for an um, basically unfair process because yeah. you can't really do justice in 25 seconds or 30 seconds of each excerpt. But so it's if the you best have way a, to know. If you, if you have, uh, you know, a big lunch and you come back and you're a little sleepy and somebody pulls out that Siegfried horn call for the 527th time that day, are you just like, sorry, that's enough. You know? <laughs> Next, please. Uh, no, but something very true you say, though. Uh, is when you play during the day, mm-hmm. the luck of the draw is also important. Yeah. If you pick, if you're in the first, you know, 20 and then uh, people are not totally with it at the beginning or, you know, it depends. I mean, the members of a jury are, are humans, you know, they, they sure. make mistakes too. You know, the, the world is, uh, just when you see international competition, a lot of people have career, they're the second prize, the, the, the mentioned, the fourth prize winner. It very, happens very often. It's not the first prize winner. You know, sometimes they overlook like, uh, you know, there's stories and stories of people who were overlooked as a winner of competition and have amazing careers. There's also the ones that won, right? right. But you expect those. But it's, uh, yeah, so it's, you, you can't really beat yourself up when you don't do so well in an audition because, uh, you know, part of it is under your control is how you play, how you prepare. How are you prepared that day? You know, like if you go to the bathroom before, but, but also how well you've prepared, how, how well you know your music, that violinist, how, how much you're going to make your photocopies before going so you don't have to run to Geico's. You know, all those little things you control. But once you're there and you play and you play, you know, the best you can play that day without thinking that everybody else might play better than you. Cause that's the big thing in audition. You know, you're always thinking everybody's better, but it's, uh, it's not true. I kept telling to my student, it's not the best player. Is the one who has a, an average of not having any crashes, you know? And they're usually the people who go through. Yeah. So not the best. It's the one who's not the worst. Exactly. Or, yeah. Yeah. That, right. the, yeah. Uh, well, Zach, you've been sitting here very quietly because you haven't uh, Yeah, this is my first rodeo. A- so, you know, coming to the orchestra world from the management world, this has been the part of the job that's most fascinated me. And when I talk to people in the you know, outside the arts, and I talk to them about the audition process, they look at me and say, a screen? Like, yeah. they're thinking about, you know, hiring a, a a marketing person for their staff and doing it on the other side of a screen where you can't talk to the person and you can't, you can't interact with them or, or gauge their anything about them. But, you know, in some ways, it, it, it's the most perfect way to do what we need to do here. Um, so I'm very excited to see it. I'm excited to understand more about the the applicants who have come to Toledo, and it's it's refreshing, you know, in this world of of orchestral music, that we do have so many people who want to be part of our organization. Yeah. So, you know, this is also the nice part mm-hmm. where having Alain on staff, we can, you know, this is not my world, this is your world, mm-hmm. and the CEO has no role mm-hmm. in an audition. So, so let's say you won the audition. Now you have a trial period. Uh, (laughs) Because it's one thing to win an audition. We have to talk about the trial period, which can go from three months to two years. But that's not behind the screen. That's not behind the screen. That, that's actually, you know, quote unquote, the real audition because we have to see if we, if we can work together. Wow. And, and, you know, the, we talk about the maestro, but the, the conductor is only one vote. You know, a committee is anywhere between, you know, five and nine people, depending on the, the, the collective bargaining agreement. But that's a, 
you have one vote. I mean, yes, some place they have more. I always don't want more than one vote because uh, at the end of the day, we have to make this decision together. Yeah. Uh, but uh, once you once you're like uh, the top one, or maybe they, we try two or three people, but uh, you have to to pass that that little round uh, which is playing with the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Then you pass that. Then you have your year of tenure after that, or two years of tenure depending on the organization. Because uh, it's a long process, yeah. you know. Winning the audition is like the beginning. It's of, just the beginning. Yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff that we didn't know about uh, how the audition process works. That about wraps it up for this afternoon. I want to say that Toledo Symphony Lab is generously underwritten by a gift from the estate of Barbara Garwood and is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org. We'd like to hear from you. You can give us a call, just like those folks who left their audition horror stories. We don't need a horror story from you, but we would like to hear your comments or your questions. The phone number is 419-418-0012. My thanks to our panelists, Zach Vasser, Merwin Sue, and Alain Trudel. I'm Brad Cresswell, and you've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab on FM 91.